0: God with us what does that mean right what does it mean for him to be present and really that's what Chris is all about that the faraway God came close to us and that's what I want to talk about just for the next uh, few minutes so I just want to say thank you for being here I'm Ryan one of the pastors we're so glad that you are here to celebrate the birth of Jesus with us uh, how many of you are all done uh, Christmas shopping let me see your hands you're done all right for those of you that uh, we're honest enough to keep your hand down, which I did not recommend. Uh, Walgreens is open, I think, all night tonight, so you just head out there. Their perfume packs are awesome, so you're going to want to pick one of those up. Uh, how many of you are done wrapping, right? Anybody Anybody doing some wrapping for some friends, family, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. we got a, a big Christmas in front of us. Well, I love Christmas. I love growing up. You know, we always did big Christmas at our house. And, you know, around after Thanksgiving time when all the decorations came up, I said a few weeks ago, I asked for a show of hands, how many were the psychopaths that decorated before Thanksgiving, right? And there were many people that raised their hands, could not believe it. It's shocking. I mean, poor Thanksgiving, right? I mean, you got to have a heart for Thanksgiving. And so after Thanksgiving, our house would begin to be decorated with Christmas. And one of my favorite scenes that we used to always set up as a kid, one of my favorite things, uh, was the nativity, and, and we had one, and it didn't look like this. I'm going to show you what ours looked like. Why don't you look at this picture right here? Uh, that was a very similar to ours. It's this, you know, porcelain white set. But I always loved the nativity scene. And Jesus, of course, did not get placed in the manger until Christmas Day. And uh, it was so much fun to be able to play with that as a kid. And I remember moving the pieces, and eventually they'd get lost, and Mom would be wondering where they are at. Um, and I don't know about you, maybe you had a scene like this, but I think when we look at mangers like this, and even this next picture, I think, is a good example. I mean, just look at how perfect that manger scene is, right? Almost looks too perfect. I mean, so perfect, in fact, that it makes you a little suspicious uh, because life can't be that perfect. And even from our own experience, we realize that life has many amazing twists and turns that we didn't count on, and not everything ended up so Great, did it, it, right? And so as kids, this story is easy to believe, but sometimes as we become adults, we push this story into a category of of fable or fairy tales. We kind of put it on the shelf, and about every December 24th, we remove it from the shelf, and we open it back up to reexamine it once again. And I wanted to show you this. Go ahead and put that picture back up if you would. Thank you very much. So now, I mean, when you look at this picture, it kind of looks like a cartoon, Right? Everybody's so perfect. I mean, it just, everybody's just so beautiful. The smiles, the skin, the blonde hair. You know, I look at that and I wonder how many Middle Eastern kids are, you know, blonde and blue-eyed. But I guess, you know, it is what it is. Um, well, the, the Christmas story we read about in Matthew and Luke's gospel doesn't actually begin with this scene. It doesn't begin, in fact, with Mary and Joseph. It actually starts with Mary's relative, Elizabeth, who was told that she would give birth to John the Baptist. And I always thought growing up that his last name was the Baptist. I just thought that that was his last name. I had no idea he got that because he would become a baptizer of those that follow Jesus. He would prepare the way for Jesus. Now this was incredibly perfect because Elizabeth in this picture here, who was never able to have kids because she was old, she was told that by an angel that she was going to have a child. Amazing. People believed in this time. I mean, if you couldn't bear children, there was terrible disgrace. In fact, people thought that Elizabeth had done something wrong and had made God mad, and that's the reason she had never had a child, that somehow God was punishing her and not giving her any kids. But lo and behold, the angel comes and says, you're going to give birth to John the Baptist, which is actually a perfect segue into Christ's birth because Jesus would spend his whole life reaching out to those who felt distant from God or felt like they weren't good enough. And then there's Mary. Look at this picture of Mary. Everybody say, Ah! I mean, that's a beautiful picture. Only 14 years old, she finds favor with God. And the angel comes and says, you know, hey, you have, you have found favor with God. He's chosen you which was perfect because Jesus would spend his whole life showing people favor who thought they had lost favor with God. And then there's the shepherds out in the field who were actually outcasts from religious circles because they were always handling dead things, dirty animals, and so they were unclean. And they weren't even allowed into the synagogue with the other religious people They were on the outside, so to speak, and they were the ones to raise the animals and hand them over to the good religious people, which I think is absolutely perfect because God would choose to first announce his son's birth to them, the shepherds, those who were considered outsiders. It was as if God was saying, even though you have never been invited because you are unclean, We want you on the inside of this thing. Which was perfect. Because Jesus would spend his whole life reaching out to those who were on the outside of religion, inviting them into relationship. As we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, I mean, she looks so good in all the pictures, doesn't she? She just seems to be glowing, right? Even here, I mean, she appears to be glowing. But any woman in this room knows, that if you have just given birth in a barn without an epidural, you would not be looking that good, right? And it certainly would not have been a silent night, right? I mean, let's be honest, would not have been. And no wonder, as we get older and older, as we, that we see this, the perfection in this story, and we shove it towards the likes of fiction rather than truth Yet, to be honest, this story isn't even a really good myth because there really is no moral of the story. Out, I mean, outside of like, don't forget to make reservations, right? I mean, that's a good moral for the story. Don't forget to make reservations. But other than that, there's not a good moral here. And then, to the rescue come Matthew and Luke. Matthew, who knew Jesus and followed him, and he, who knew, he knew John, who knew Mary, who actually helped take care of Mary until she died. I mean, he didn't start this whole story out as once upon a time. He started with Abraham and goes through the genealogy all the way through Jesus, as if to say, I know this story seems unbelievable, but I want you to know that through the lineage here that this really happened. Jesus was an actual person that really did these things. And Luke's account is even better. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he knew Peter and John and even James, the brother of Jesus. And he realizes that there's so many accounts flying around about this story. He wanted to get it right. And so he starts his story this way. His writing is this way. Luke 1, 1 through 1-4, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, there's lots of people trying to tell this story, but I want to get this down and get it right Now, this wasn't 50 or 100 years later after being passed down from someone else. Luke is writing this at the time that Jesus actually lived. And he continues, he says, just as they were handed down to us by those from the very first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. In other words, these are accounts are from eyewitnesses, people who were there and saw it with their own eyes. And with this in mind, he says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent, Theophilus. I want an orderly account. And since I had, he's saying, hey, since I had access to Peter and John and James and Mary and other eyewitnesses, I'm gonna get it right. Why? Verse four, so that you may know the, what's that word? So you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So you may know the certainty. This isn't myth or fairy tale. You have to guess and wonder, is it true? These things actually took place among us. And then I think Luke does something absolutely incredible that actually no other author of fiction would ever do. He anchors his story to history so everyone will know this really happened. And he continues this way, Luke 2, 1 and 3. It says, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Corinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now here's what's so cool and fascinating about this, that if you do some research, you will find that the history books tell us that there really was a governor named Corinius, and during his reign, there were two censuses that took place. How amazing, the story tied to history. And then Luke goes on to tell the story of Joseph and Mary and a child who would be born named Jesus. And he would become Savior of the world. And so here's the question that I have for you tonight that I think all of us need to consider. And the question is simply this What if it's all true? What if it's all true? What do I do with that? What if the faith you had as a child was correct all along? And if it's true that the angel said, what if it's true what the angel said is of great significance for you and I? And we see what the angel says in Luke 2.10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Everybody say, for all the people. For all the people. For all the people. The people like Elizabeth, who felt that she wasn't loved by God because somehow she wasn't good enough. But in truth, the exact opposite. God used people like her in his story. Or maybe people like you who have felt that God couldn't love you or couldn't accept you. It brings great joy for all people. Those of you like Mary, who didn't feel like maybe you deserve God's favor, but he loves you just the same as Mary and wants the same personal relationship with you. This news brings great joy for all people. All people just like those shepherds. Those of you who might feel like you're on the outside looking in. You say, I don't like religion. I don't like religious things. I'm actually only here, Ryan, because I promised my parents I would go once a year and here I am fulfilling it, right? And all I would say to that is that if you have ever felt like you're on the outside of this whole thing, God himself would invite you in. You are part of that word, all people. That Jesus came out and came down to reach people like you and me, no matter where you have been, no matter how long you've been gone, no matter what mistakes you've made. And verse 11 continues this way The angel said, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I love that God sent a Savior. And what makes this perfect is that God did not send another list of to-dos for you and I. God didn't say, hey, if you can jump through all these hoops that I've got for you, then I'll accept you. Or, hey, if you could clean up your act a little bit, then I'll accept you. No, no, no. God sent Jesus as a Savior who saves us exactly where we're at. And he shows us how to have a second chance. And this is so important. Because truth be told, we're not mistakers. We're actually sinners. Who need a savior. And that's what Jesus came as. A savior. Because the truth is that you and I don't even do good keeping our own rules. And here's how I know this is true. In about a week or so, you have already devised a plan to lose some weight in January. right? Some of you have already bought the shakes, Some of you, you've already bought the workout equipment. You bought the DVDs. I mean, nobody watches DVDs. You bought the thing on the computer, subscription, whatever, right? I mean, you're ready to go. And here's what I know about you because I know it about me. About January 6th, you're going to say, forget it. It's not worth it, right? And we end up breaking our own rules, let alone God's. And that is why we need to be saved because we have a bad time even trying to save ourselves We can't do it. And we come up empty time and time and time again. Every time we try to fix that in our life and this in our life and that, we come up short. And so this story is perfect because it's true and it happened. And you and I are a part of the reason that Jesus came so that brokenness can be mended in our life for him to do what we cannot do ourselves. And so it's more than perfect, it's true. Maybe this Christmas, you would take this story off of the fiction shelf and open your life to the one who can love you unconditionally. Open your life to the one who can forgive your sin. The one who can give you a promise of a new life, of a new beginning. A place where you're not leading yourself, no, you put him in a place of leadership in your life, and say, Jesus, I want to begin to follow you. And here's what I know. I know that some of you don't feel like you deserve it. Some of you don't feel like you're good enough. And that's really why Jesus came, because we could never be good enough. Because if you could be good enough, how good would you have to be? It's a great question. And many people, when they're asked, hey, do you believe when you die that you'll go to heaven? What I hear most often from people is, well, I hope so. I feel like I've been a pretty good person. But truth be told, we know in and of ourselves we're not that great. So many areas of our life that fall short and are broken. And that's why Jesus came, to bring wholeness to all of those areas. And so you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to clean up your act. All you have to do is start following Jesus, saying, God, I want to follow you. I give you my life. And as you begin to follow him, as you begin to pray, as you begin to show up to church, as you begin to read the Bible, I'm telling you what, here's what I know about Jesus, that he will make your life better and he will make you better at life. And it will happen one day, one step at a time. And I know that for all of those people in the nativity scene, None who counted themselves worthy to be a part of this incredible story would say to us today, come on, you're all invited. God wants to be a part of your story. And it begins with us surrendering our life to him. And so would you just bow your heads and we're going to just say a prayer here in a moment. But maybe you're in that place of just saying I'm ready to begin giving Jesus leadership in my life then maybe very quietly to yourself and to him. You could just say the simple phrase, Jesus, I give you my life. That's all you have to say. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And then begin a pursuit of following after him. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have invited us into your story. that you saw us in our brokenness, you saw us in our sin. You saw us when we didn't feel like we deserved it or we're good enough or felt on the outside. I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to come for us and not stay in a manger, but to grow, to show us how to live and to lead us by example. And then he took all of our brokenness and sin upon himself as he died for us which sets us free that we don't have to make up for our own sin we just have to accept your forgiveness and we're so grateful that three days later Jesus you rose again from the dead and you offer us new life and relationship with you a new hope for tomorrow that while we may not yet be who we want to be, God, in you, there is so much hope and so much purpose. So I pray you'd help us in 2019 to step into that purpose. That we wouldn't live just for us, God, we'd live for you and keep placing you in leadership of our lives over and over and over again to become more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.